Well, last week, Pastor Peter and Pastor Brian launched us into a brand new sermon series about the Holy Spirit. And they took us to John chapter 14 to dig into a little bit about who he is and what he does in our lives. But today I want to answer a question that maybe was already rumbling around in your mind last week. Okay, but who? Who gets this gift of the Holy Spirit? What do I need to do to have him in my life? And is there just a certain class of special people that can have this? Turn with me to John chapter 7. Back to the Gospel of John. And oh my goodness, I hope you have a what? Say it again. Bible. Bible. This is God's word. Not what I say. What does God's word say? So if you're going to attend our church family, and I'm so glad you're here. If you don't have a Bible, get one. We've got some free ones in the resource center. Because I want you to learn God's word and see it for yourself. John chapter 7. Beginning in verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Oh, listen to me. I am convinced that those three short little verses can change your life. And those three short little verses... Or some of the most important verses you could think about related to your own life and wrestle with today. So before we dig in, to make sure you can appreciate it and get all that I think is really going on here. Let me give you some background and context of what was going on when Jesus stood and said this. You see, this takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jews had numbers of feasts throughout the year that they celebrated annually. This took place during the Feast of Tabernacles that was a seven or eight day long feast in Jerusalem that happened every year. Where they were focused on remembering how God had provided for them in the wilderness as they wandered as a nation for 40 years. Years And as they wandered in the wilderness or desert for 40 years, their greatest need would have been for water. Water. And so what they would do during this week is many of them would actually build outdoor simple huts and shelters that they would live in during this week. And every day the priest would go down to the pool of Siloam with a golden pitcher and fill it with water and then would march back up with a crowd of people and priests in one of the most raucous, boisterous, festive celebrations ever with shouting and dancing and singing and blowing trumpets. And they would actually sing the words from Isaiah chapter 12 that says, you will have joy as you draw water from the wells of salvation. And they're doing this every day. And they'd come back up to the temple and and pour the water out at the altar. This has been going on now for seven days. The city is one big party and festive atmosphere focused on water and life and God's provision. So now with that background and that context, look again at verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Now it's also worth noting, if you'll jump back to the beginning of the chapter, verse 1, that by this point in his ministry, the Jewish religious leaders 
We're trying to kill him. They're looking for any opportunity to get a hold of him. Where is he? And when can we trap him? When can we seize him? When can we kill him? Because he has so offended them with his teaching that did not line up with what they already wanted to believe. Nothing new under the sun, huh? Isn't it, isn't it so true that people are so often, I already know what I believe. I'm looking for a religion that matches that. And a savior that will deliver that. His teaching didn't line up with what they already believed. And it didn't, it didn't get in line with the agenda that they already had as to who the Messiah was supposed to be and what he was supposed to do. And so you got to ask yourself, what would cause him then to stand up and cry out in the midst of this kind of tension? With religious leaders that are looking for him and want to kill him. What could be so important that he was willing to risk his life and reveal himself in the middle of a crowded festival filled with leaders who are looking for him and want to kill him? Well, it's the message right here in verse 37 to 39 that's been building up inside of him. You think about this, folks. It's been building up inside of him day after day after day as he sees this redepiction of going down to the pool of Siloam, scooping up the water and remembering and celebrating and shouting and dancing and blowing trumpets over how God had provided water for them when Moses struck the rock and saved the people by giving them water. And as he watches this redepiction over and over and over and over and over, he can't sit still any longer. As he hears them sing from Isaiah chapter 12, you will bring joy as we take water from the wells of salvation. And he's saying, I am that water you're singing about. I am that rock. Because yes, Isn't it amazing that God provided water for the people hundreds of years ago when Moses struck the rock? But those people thirsted again and died. But I am the rock who gives you water so that you would never thirst again. In fact, here's what's going on. The Greek word used right there in verse 37 for cried out is not your normal just say it, announce it. The Greek word right there in verse 37 for cried out is the same word that is used to describe demons when they scream. Because it is coming out with so much force and emotion. And here's what you also need to understand. In that day, you didn't, as you, as you spoke about the things of God, you didn't stand like I'm standing and move around. A rabbi or a teacher would sit. You sat when you taught. So this is no calm synagogue lecture from a traditional seated position. Jesus can't control himself anymore. This is a message that he's got to get out. It's been building as he knows I'm the one you're dancing about. I'm the one that you're reenacting this. Don't miss it. This entire festival and Isaiah 12 was talking about me and I have come. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. As he so often did with Old Testament scripture and traditions and rituals and festivals He's saying, I'm the one to whom this entire festival has been pointing all these years. So here's what I want to do. From this past, I hope you got a good night's sleep and you're rested. Because I'm going to put it on you. I'm going to get you to think. I want from this passage, because I do believe it could change your life. I want from this passage to ask you three questions. That I want you to answer for yourself. No one else can do it. I can't do it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them in your lap. Three questions that I want you to ask, answer for yourself. That I believe will clarify where you are spiritually. Three questions that I think clarify where you are spiritually today. Number one. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? See, the starting point, my friend, for any spiritual solution in your life 
is to be thirsty. Because until you stop trying to slake your thirst at the wells of this world, and until you're willing to admit that every other place in this world is nothing but salt water, that initially, yeah, Oh, so quickly, more quickly than you would ever hope, that moment of satisfaction passes. And if you know anything about it, and now you have a thirst and a craving that is ramped up beyond what you had before that could drive you nearly to the point of insanity that leaves you craving and thirsting even more. Until you get honest about all that, There's really no hope for you, my friend. Are you thirsty? And do you realize that everywhere else in this world does not ultimately, truly satisfy, but simply creates a greater thirst, a greater craving, a greater frustration? Are you thirsty? And here's why this matters. Here's why this matters. Because thirsty is the only prerequisite for coming to Christ. You've got to be thirsty. And you've got to be willing to admit it. Thirsty and willing to admit it. So you might be thinking right now then, well, Brad, help me. What does it mean to be thirsty? What does it mean in this passage to be thirsty? Well, Jesus, listen to me, when Jesus shouted out and launched from his seat on that last day, that great day, and stood and cried out, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. He was looking and he knew. Just like in this room today, nothing's changed. He was looking for people who knew they were sinners and had an awareness That these festivals, these redepictions of Old Testament, what God did, do not ultimately satisfy and make me clean. They're all pointing to something else. They still fall short. They have to be repeated every year. He was looking for people in the crowd who knew they were sinners and also knew these temporary sacrifices and festivals could never truly take away sin and clean them. But now I want you to notice a really sweet word in verse 37. Anyone. Oh, lock eyes with that. Anyone. If, say it. Say it again. If anyone is thirsty oh my goodness that's we don't live in a world of anyone we live in a world of clarification and exclusions and fine print clauses things that you think could be yours and you, when you dig in it some more uh, no i don't qualify i don't qualify i don't qualify if say it again anyone thirst let him come to me. The invitation that Jesus shouts is still the invitation today. Regardless of who you are, what you've done, where you've been, or what's been done to you, anyone. And right now, Jesus just wraps his arms around this entire room. Some of you are pushing, saying, but you don't know anyone. He pulls you in. He pulls you in. Anyone, anyone, young, old, male, female, black, white, rich, poor, raised in a Christian home, raised in a catastrophe, broken, dysfunctional home. And you say, I'm so many, there's so many ways about me that anyone, anyone is thirsty. The invitation of Christ is universal. And that means there's no ethnic, intellectual, social qualifications for drinking from Jesus. There's one condition. You have to be thirsty. Thirsty. Are you thirsty? 
There's no other condition you need to fulfill. There's nothing else you need to do. We have this, we have this inbred sense that I gotta do some stuff first and then come to Christ. There's no way I could come like this. That's a lie. No, no other qualification. Nothing you need to do first. Come. Thirsty. But here's the problem, and some of you might be feeling it right now. Here is the problem that every single one of us are living with. Because we're created in the image of God, and we are, you don't have to be a Christian. Are you human? Do you have a pulse? You're created in the image of God. You're an image bearer. There's a God-likeness to you unlike a house plant or an aardvark or a golden retriever. Should I name different animals? I do the same ones every time. For those of you that have been here for decades, I'm going to try to work on some new animals. But I don't know, it just rolls off the tongue. I like that. We are unlike anything else in all of creation. You're an image bearer. Men, women, all of us. And so that means you're born thirsty for God. Here's the problem. The Bible also teaches because we are sinners by nature. We're born with scalded taste buds on our souls that conclude and and, and are thinking, Oh, but not God. You're born thirsty for God. But not God. It can't, that can't be the answer. That would be bondage. Oh, that would be the end of my life. Oh, there'd be no freedom. Oh, there'd be no fun. Oh, 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 oh. And so we turn from the very one who alone can satisfy. The one who you're thirsty for. There's what every single one of us are born with and wrestling with. As image bearers, we're the, only, we're the only people, we're the only things in creation that are born with a chronic longing and thirst for God. And sense a homesickness for God. Think about it. Dolphins are content to frolic in the ocean sunset. Dogs are content to lie in the sun. Frogs are content to jump from pond to pond. We are the only ones afflicted with a chronic restlessness. Restlessness and sense of, yeah, but what? 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 And that's why everything we set our hand to that at first delights us gets old. There are no books for dogs who have become bored. They stay very happy, just pooping, chasing cars, lying in the sun, breeding. It's enough. It's more than enough. We're the ones that say, and then give it enough time. Fad after fad, fashion after fashion, pleasure after pleasure. I need a new challenge. Challenge after challenge. Ultimately, it still leaves us thirsty in the end. Why? Because you were made for God. You were made for God. The taste buds of your soul were made to relish fellowship with your creator, God, through his son, Jesus Christ. But sin has scalded the taste buds of your soul so that we turn away from the very one who can satisfy C.S. Lewis describes this frustration and this affliction so well when he says, if I find, if I find in myself a desire that nothing in this world can fully satisfy, the most probable conclusion is that I was made for another world. Yes, you were, my friend. You're thirsty for someone outside this world. 
That boyfriend can never be enough. That girlfriend can never be enough. That marriage can never be enough. Those children can never be enough. Those grandchildren can never be enough. That career advancement is never enough. That athletic achievement and prowess is never enough. Travel is not enough. Food is not enough. Sex is not enough. You were made to be in relationship with God. You're thirsty for that. If anyone thirsts. But there's a second question I want you to to answer for yourself. Not just are you thirsty, are you willing to come to Christ with your thirst? Are you willing to come to Christ with your thirst? Look at verse 37 again. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink But now you might be thinking, okay, Brad, what does it mean to come to Christ and drink? Well, he doesn't leave us guessing because he answers in verse 38. He says, he who believes in me. He who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of... See, he's making a connection. Drinking is believing. Those two things are synonymous. That's what it means to drink Christ, to come to him and drink, is to come to him and believe that he is not just a historical figure. He's certainly not a fantasy you know, figure. And he wasn't just a good teacher. He is God in flesh who came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And to slake this thirst that will never be satisfied apart from a relationship with your creator God through Jesus To believe he is who he says he is and that he did the only thing that will ever fully satisfy you. Let me show you one of the best places to make this connection between drinking and believing. Jump back to John 6. John chapter 6 verse 35. Drinking Jesus is believing in Jesus. John 6 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never say it. Thirst. You want to drink Christ? Believe in him. Believe in him. So what have we learned so far about how you get God's spirit in your life? Number one, you got to be thirsty. You have got to be thirsty and come to grips with the fact that your soul was born for God but scalded by sin. That's why you have this turmoil. And that nothing in this world is going to satisfy your longing. Number two, you've got to come to Christ. Come to Christ. Stop going other places and stop listening to other people. Christ. And number three, you've got to drink. You've got to believe it's not enough to say, oh, oh, okay, I acknowledge that he lived. That's not enough. Believing in him means you personally for you. Not your mama, not your grandma, not your, not your small group leader or your pastor. You are putting your trust in Jesus. You believe in him. You are counting on him. You are resting in him for your soul's greatest need. But let's build on this a little more. Are you thirsty? Are you willing to come to Christ with your thirst? But there's a third question I want to ask you. Are you seeing his promise? Jesus makes a promise in verse 38 and 39. Are you seeing his promise fulfilled in your own life? Look at it again. Look at the promise he gives in verse 38 and 39. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said... Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. I want you to notice there's really two parts to this promise of the spirit. That he said you would receive when you believe. The first part of the promise is this. There's no limit to the Spirit's work in you. There's no limit to the Spirit's work in you. He said you would have rivers of living water that would flow out of your heart. He's saying there's an unending, constant 
supply. But there's a second part to this promise, and it's this. It was never his intent that the Spirit's work in you would simply end with you. When rivers of living water are flowing out of your heart, listen, my friend, they spill onto other people. It impacts where you work. It impacts how you walk around the block. It impacts what you take with you into the gym. It impacts where you shop. It impacts... You don't have to go out of your way to try to make things happen. You're not trying to make anything happen. There's something happening inside of you that you can't stop. The Holy Spirit is giving rivers of living. Now, are you perfect? Can you still be stupid and difficult? But is there something different? Just as loud. Yes. 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 Oh, my goodness. And since this passage is about water, keep in mind, right there in that same region was the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is dead because nothing flows out of it, my friends. If you aren't giving, you aren't living. This is what the Spirit does. Your life begins to be something that blesses other. I'm not just talking about money. Money's one thing, but just time. You just see other people. You live for more than your own tiny little kingdom. You're giving. You have a mindset of giving and blessing and refreshing others. Listen, even our physical bodies teach this same thing, don't they? When things don't flow out of you, bad things start to happen in you. I'll keep it family friendly. Without details, but when you have, there's all kinds of situations where, whoo, hospital time, we got to get things moving. Healthy people are, are people that things are flowing out of you. When it stays in you, bad things start to happen. In other words, the spiritual flow into you was meant to flow out of you onto others around you. And here's what I really mean. Some of you are going to need to say, ouch. It shouldn't be a secret. It shouldn't be a secret to others around you that the Spirit of God is alive in you. It shouldn't be a secret. Long before you ever speak up and say anything, others at work that know you best and interact with you most closely should have already been thinking, what, what is different about her? Why is she that way? What, what does she have that I don't have? How does she go through breast cancer like that? How does she deal with what's going on with her kids and her young adult children and her teenagers like that? How does she face the financial deal she's going through like that? On and on we could go. It shouldn't be a secret. People are already thinking, what's different? Why are they like that? A true Christian who has the gift of the Spirit should become a refreshing fountain of water for other people around them. So I want to ask you, I want you to stop and think. When people get around you and spend time with you, are they refreshed or drained? Do they feel like life was added or death? Now let's go back. I want to jump back to the Spirit's work in you. And I want to talk about that some more. How would you know the Spirit's at work in you? Let's not leave it fuzzy and fill in any definition we choose. Let's look at the Scriptures. How would you know, oh my goodness, these rivers of living water, Holy Spirit is working in me. He's working in me. What would that look like? There's so much we could say, but I'm going to give you two indications, just two. There are others. Number one, the Spirit helps you make much of Jesus. Jesus. And right here, listen, right here is where so many Christians, so many Christians get it wrong. And there are not one, but two ditches to fall into that we want to stay out of. We want to stay out of both of them. There's a ditch with Christians piled up on top of each other, of Christians who completely ignore the Holy Spirit. 
act like he doesn't exist or maybe even wish that he didn't exist and try to live like he doesn't exist and even either live it or actually say things like the Bible alone is enough. The Bible is sufficient. God's word is authoritative. It's inspirational. It's God's word. That's all we need. Just read your Bible and you know how to live. And they're either ignorant of the Holy Spirit or they're scared. And so in their attempt to exalt God's word, do we still here believe that God's word is authoritative? Inspired. How much of it? All of it. But folks, as we exalt God's word as the truth, we are not the church that wants to diminish and ignore God's spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit and you desperately need him with God's word in your life. It's an amazing gift. In exalting God's word, we don't want to diminish God's spirit. But here, and so often it's the Bible believing we still hold to God's word group of Christians that can be guilty of this. So we as a church family are more likely to be in this ditch. But you know what? There's a ditch over here of Christians piled on top of each other. It's a louder ditch. It's frothy. There's ribbons and stuff going on. There's barking coming from this ditch. And this is often why these Christians are over here doing what they're doing. There's been such abuse that they're done. Now, I've said this on so many areas, whether it's God's role of submission for women in marriage, whether it's whatever, just because something can be abused doesn't mean it should be, oh, you break my heart. I thought I said this a lot. Abolished. Just because something's been abused doesn't mean it should be. Has there been an abuse of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But folks, we want to hold to God's word and delight in the fact that he gave us his spirit. We want to understand what it means to live like that. And often what is going on with this ditch, sadly, whereas this ditch has so exalted God's word to the exclusion of God's spirit... This ditch very often is all about the Spirit. They're so focused on the Spirit. They're so taken up with the Spirit. And they are completely unhinged from God's Word that guides us and tells us what the Spirit will and will not do in our lives. And so their take often, sorry, often is if it's amazing, if it's bizarre, if it's emotional... People are crying or laughing. It must be the Spirit. And we'll just let it take us wherever it goes. Listen to me. If you're ready to stop listening and you're going to be done, grab this before you quit. The Holy Spirit's main ministry was never to give us chills and thrills. You can get that from any local amusement park. The Holy Spirit's main ministry is to make us more like Christ and empower us to talk about Jesus to others. Right there. If you want to use your Bible to decide what he's all about, that's it. Not chills and thrills. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm that guy that still believes in the Bible and I am grateful for some chills and thrills. Don't hear me saying there'll never be a chill. There'll never be a thrill. I'm grateful for some chills and thrills along the way, but I'm not going to live my life based on that. Dear me, no. His main ministry is to make us more like Christ and to empower us to talk to others about him. That's what you see in God's word. Here's, Here's the way I put it to you. When you turn to God's word, you see that the spirit has a spotlight ministry that focuses on Jesus. Jesus. You know you might be a little off the path if all you talk about is the Spirit. Spirit this, the Spirit that, Spirit, Spirit, Spirit. Because the Spirit has a spotlight ministry that focuses on Jesus. Turn to John chapter 16. If you want to hear what Jesus said, this Spirit that he was going to give us would focus on... Who better than to listen to Jesus instead of televangelists and best-selling books or blogs? Let's hear what Jesus said the Spirit would do. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 12. John 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now look at me. Already there's a connection that I wish more people would hold on to. Where's the only place that we know truth? This is God's truth. The Spirit will guide you into all. So when the Spirit's really at work in your life, it's not evidenced by, I never read my Bible anymore. I just go with the Spirit. I don't have to look at the Scriptures anymore. I'm just led by the Spirit. Uh, You've missed it, my friend. I need the Spirit's help to fully understand what God's truth is saying and how to apply it to my life. And yes, it's a very exciting life because so much of what he says is opposite of what I would think and upside down and radical, but God's spirit helps me understand God's word. The spirit and truth go together. He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Now watch this in verse 14. It couldn't be more clear. He will glorify me. He doesn't glorify himself. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I need God's spirit to help me understand some of the things that Jesus said. I still wrestle with them. And to know how that would play out in my life. That's what the spirit's for. He'll declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Let me illustrate it for you this way. You ever been in a dark theater? You're in a dark theater and then, bam, a spotlight comes on. Right on one person on the stage. What happens? You can't see anybody else. Before that spotlight came on and hit that person, it's a dark room already, but you could make out shadowy figures of other characters and other props. But when that spotlight hits that person, you can't see anything else. And oh, by the way, you don't see the spotlight. You don't start craning your head. Where is that spotlight? That would be delightful to focus on. No. That person now is all you can see. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When you are seeing more of Jesus, oh my goodness, but but there's more. I'm, I'm being struck more by his mercy and more by his compassion and more by his wisdom and more by his authority. And I'm hungry for more of Jesus. The Spirit is working in your life. When, you, when what you thought you knew was no longer enough and you realize, oh, but there's more. When your love for Jesus is growing deeper and deeper and deeper and sweeter and you're understanding he is your bridegroom and you love him. When your thoughts of him are more frequent and your mind just easily and quickly goes to Jesus, not just in your quiet time, not just on Sunday, not just in small group, but right in the middle of the office, right in the car, as you jog, as you garden, as you weed, you're like, I'm thinking about Jesus, my Savior. He's so real and dear to me. That's the Spirit's ministry. Jesus. Let me give you a second indication of the Spirit's work in your life. He makes much of Jesus. But number two, the Spirit helps you become more like Jesus by putting to death sin in your life. Here's where I could lose some of you, so I want you to listen carefully. Here's where I get emails sometimes. So just listen so you don't have to email me. The Holy Spirit, when He's at work in your life, life. He helps you become more like Jesus by putting to death sin in your life. Think about it. He's a holy spirit. And that means he has a very sensitive nose to sin in your life. Now stay with me. We've already got this going on, right? The spirit's helping you make much of Jesus. You've been, you've taken up with Jesus, how good he is, how merciful he is. His work on the cross is still blowing your mind it's not like way back there it's like i can't believe he did that for me and he lives in me and then the spirit begins to give you a heightened not diminished 
heightened awareness of your sin because he's a Holy Spirit. So he doesn't just keep saying, you're a saint, not a sinner. You're a saint, not a sinner. I don't want you to ever think about sin again. That's not what he does, but it doesn't debilitate you. So those of you that are like, but why would he do that? Then I'm gonna feel bad about myself. Not if this is already going on, because as he shows you more of your sin, but you're seeing Jesus, you're like, and that's why I need a savior. I have a great savior and I am a great sinner. Get behind me, Satan. I don't need to wallow. That's why he died for me and rose again. The Holy Spirit gives you a heightened awareness, not in a debilitating, you are awful way, but he, he begins to shed light into the crannies and crooks of your life. Little things that you were content with that used to, you didn't give it a thought. They now bother you. That's why some of you, I hope this would help you, after you came to Christ and you began to grow in your walk with him, you started feeling worse about yourself. I'm the biggest mess. Oh my goodness, I guess I'm not like everybody else. As you see more of Jesus and are filled with the Spirit and begin to mature, he knows you can handle seeing a little more of your own sin because his desire is our holiness starting right now in this life. Will you ever perfectly get there? But does that mean, why try? It's just grace. No, right now he wants to make you more like Jesus because the more you become like Jesus, the more people will smell the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ and their lives will be changed. Little pockets of pride. You didn't used to think that was pride, but now you're starting to realize that's not just a personality quirk, that's pride. That's selfishness. That's dishonesty. I exaggerate. That is not exactly true and I do that a lot. He begins to give you an awareness of your Sin, because he's a holy spirit working to make us more like Christ. And so here, listen to me, there are a lot of people running around talking about the spirit. And they're talking about some amazing things and some emotional things. But listen to me, if whatever they're talking about is not making them more like Christ and more holy, you can just put a big question mark over whose spirit has gotten a hold of them. Bizarre, emotional, amazing, chills and thrills can all have none of God's spirit in the middle of it. Don't hear me saying always there's none. But do hear me saying just excitement alone is no indication that's God's spirit at work. You want to know how God's spirits work? You're becoming more like Jesus. More like Jesus. A heightened awareness of sin and his goodness and his glory. Are you less pride? You say you're a believer and the spirit of God is at work in your life. You say, he's, I'm a spirit-filled believer and I hope you are. Are you becoming less prideful? Are you becoming more giving and sacrificial towards other people? I'm not just talking about your money, your time and your calendar. Just, you're just a more giving person. Are you more committed to obeying God's word? As the spirit gets more full in you and flowing in you, you don't become less interested in obeying God's word, more, more. Even if it's hard, I'll do it. Even if it puts me at risk, I'll do it. Even if it's gonna inconvenience my life and I'm gonna have to change some significant things, I'll do it. That's the spirit at work in you. Are you more committed to sexual purity in a day that blurs the lines even among Christians today? Oh, we're getting married anyway, so we're having sex. Shut up. God's word hasn't changed. Don't sleep with your girlfriend, your boyfriend, and claim to know Christ. You should be more committed to sexual purity in a day that blurs the lines. That's the work of God's spirit in your life. Making much of Jesus and your breath is being taken away and giving you an appropriate, he'll never give you more than you can handle, an appropriate awareness of your sin. To make you more like Christ. And see, here's the good news. The role of the Holy Spirit is not just to point it out and rub your nose in it. Well, look at that. Call yourself a Christian. Work on that. I'll be back. No, he, he points it out and he gives you help. That's what Romans 8 is all about. If you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will hear. That's one of his roles. 
Expose it and help you kill it. Expose it and help you put to death. Expose it and help you fight for holiness. He'll help you. I'm not just going to point it out and rub your nose in it. Now, as we close, I want to stick the landing by taking you to the last chapter of the Bible. Because I think it's, it's amazing that the last chapter of the Bible picks up on this same theme of water, life, salvation. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Oh, this last chapter in the Bible gives us this incredible, merciful invitation that's left ringing in our ears at the end of all of God's words. 66 books. And this is what he leaves ringing in our ears. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears, come. Whoever is, say it. Say it again. Thirsty. Let him come. And whoever desires, let him take. What kind of gift is it? The free gift of the water of life. Here's what's interesting. Just prior to that incredible invitation, Jesus in verse 15 tells us who is not getting into heaven. Who will be excluded. And in verse 15 he tells us there won't be any murderers. There won't be any who practice magic and the occult. There won't be any sexually immoral. There won't be any heretics. They are excluded. But stay with me. If they're out, then who's in? The big question is then who gets in? And in light of who doesn't, you just might be tempted, because it's human nature to do so, to conclude, oh, it's the people who have never done really bad things. It's the people who are very moral. It's the people who are very religious. It's the people who are upstanding citizens who are not broken, who have not done terrible things, and you would be so... Because we've got two glorious words again, similar to John 7, 37 with the word anyone. What do we have right here? Whoever. Whoever. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what's been done to you. Whoever is what? Thirsty. And whoever desires. Listen to me, while I've been speaking, if you have sensed a desire for Christ, a desire to look to him, a a dawning that, oh my goodness, uh, that's why I'm so frustrated and, and you are thirsty for Christ and you desire Christ, listen to me, my friend, that's the work of God's spirit right now in you doing surgery because you wouldn't otherwise. You, there's others in this room right now that are still exactly where they were before we began. If you have a desire for Christ, even in seed form, that's God by his spirit during, doing surgery on the taste buds of your soul to cause you to thirst for Jesus. Don't delay. Don't say, I'll think about this more later. Don't say that's interesting. It's the gift of God. It's a mercy. Trust Him. Drink. Believe. Believe. The Spirit is doing a work in you. It's not the moral and the religious and the people who have it together who are getting into heaven. It's the thirsty. And that's why Jesus shocked the leaders. In one of his sermons, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, he looked at the religious leaders of the day with boxes on their forehead filled with scripture they'd memorized and tassels that reminded everybody of how godly and religious they were. And he looked at them and he said, prostitutes and tax collectors are getting into the kingdom of God ahead of you. No wonder they wanted to kill him. Now, apologies to IRS people. It was a different day. People hated tax. I know you, maybe, I hope you don't hate them. But. but he picked two of the most despised roles in their culture. Because tax collectors could, could take whatever they wanted and keep the difference. 
we could say prostitutes and drug dealers and those who traffic in sex slaves. Whatever it is today that you think, that is awful. Put it right there. Are getting into the kingdom of God ahead of those people who say, I'm doing everything well. Other people are so much worse than me. I've never. Oh, but I've never. And so let me, let me summarize again. Because it's so foreign to our human default setting what it means to be thirsty. Because they're the only ones getting in. That's the only prerequisite for coming to Christ. Thirsty. Those who are thirsty are overwhelmed with a sense of what they don't have and what they need. It's what I lack. And they cry out for a savior. Those who are religious and moral are so busy still trying to prove to themselves, to those around them, and to God what they do have and why they deserve heaven that they miss it. Are you thirsty? And do you recognize that Jesus is the only place that thirst can be quenched? And do you recognize that Jesus in John 19, it says as he hung on the cross, he cried out, I thirst. And I know it was primarily a physical, but I think there's a place for understanding. In that moment, Jesus experienced the horrors of spiritual thirst and craving and separation from a holy God so that you would never have to thirst again. He did in your place. Cut off from God and all good. And that's why he also said, it is finished. He's done everything for you to never thirst again. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And drink. Oh God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the invitation that goes out that is so radical compared to what we see in our world. Thirsty. No other conditions. Nothing else we bring to the table. Oh, thank you for a savior. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus. Oh God. Right now by your spirit. Reveal Jesus to the ones who think they're so bad they can't come. And oh, reveal Jesus to the ones who think they're so good they deserve to come. And lead them both to the Savior. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And give them eyes to see Jesus and a heart that will believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.